Hello friends, welcome back uh, to our program about the Gita. I had said in the last session that this is really a primer, a primer for people who are just beginning to learn about the Gita and are interested and hopefully this will titillate and stimulate your curiosities for you to learn even more about this. But uh, hopefully you'll get something out of this. Right. So today we are going to be covering verses 45 through 53, I hope. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of uh, uh, verses. And I was saying in the last session that each verse, if you go to a real Swami, can be he can talk for hours on one verse because these are so deep, each verses. But we're going to try and cover eight verses in a half hour or so. If I can't, then we will continue in the next session. So verse 52, without further waste of time. The Vedas deal with the three gunas, which are attributes, personality traits, three gunas. We'll talk about that. That is a very important concept to talk about, the three gunas, nature. Be free, Arjuna, Krishna says, from the three gunas. The Vedas deal with the three gunas. Arjuna, be free from the three gunas. Be free from the pairs of opposites. Remain ever in sattva, which is purity. Remain free from acquisition and preservation and remain established in the self. All of this in one verse. That's a lot yeah. packed in there. So what are the three gunas? Everything in this world is divided into, in the Gita and Upanishads, into three gunas. Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas. We'll talk about that when we go, because it's too deep a subject to go into now. But just remember that. And he's telling Arjuna, Krishna is telling Arjuna, to be free from the three gunas. Don't have any of these in your quality, which is very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Be free from the pairs of opposites. Yep. So everything has an opposite. There's, uh, you want to um, you honor and dishonor, pain right. and pleasure. Sweet and sour, that kind of thing. Gain and loss, so, yes. Pain and, yeah. Gain and loss. Gain yeah. and loss. Mm-hmm. So he says, don't focus on that. Be free from that. Everything has to be the same. And free from acquisition and preservation. He's, remember we talked about this in one yep. of our earlier sessions. Right. That yoga and kshema. Yoga is acquisition and kshema meaning protecting it. Once you acquire it, you want to protect it. And he says, be free in that. And be established in the self with a capital S. Be established in the Atman, and then you, you, it helps you to do this. So Vedas deal with the three gunas. The Vedas mean knowledge. Ved means knowledge, authentic knowledge, not just knowledge of mathematics or arithmetic or space. The four Vedas were written to give us this knowledge. In deep meditation, certain truths were revealed to the sages. So where did they get it from? They didn't go to university. They sat in the mountains and they meditated their whole life and the truths were revealed to them. These were laws of nature about us, Atman, the spirits, all of this that's given is laws of nature. Mm -hmm. Like the law of gravity. It's been there forever. Nothing new. But Newton described it and it became a law that we said, oh, law of gravity. Newton didn't make it. He only discovered it. Mm -hmm. Similarly, these sages didn't make these. They've been there forever. We make, human beings make traffic laws. We make other laws. Say, you may not do this, you may not do that. When you see a red light, you have to stop. Those are human-made. 
Right. These are laws of nature and of a higher being that we are trying to learn now, which is much more difficult. In the Vedas, there are multiple areas. 80% of the Vedas refer to what is known as karma kanda, which are rituals, etc. 80%. These people, as we saw in the last verse, focused on the karma kanda, just did their rituals and said, okay, now I'm going to heaven. I don't need to do anything else. Right. 16% are upasanas. Upasanas are hymns, ways of devotion, singing, loving God, etc. Some people who are very devotional like that. And 4% is knowledge of the spiritual. So what we are doing now, which is the Upanishads, is only that 4%, which is very small in it. We feel that if we become spiritual and do rituals, worldly benefits come to us. Actually, as you become more spiritual, more worldly benefits come to you. I think I said it wrong. What I meant to say is, people think if they study this scriptures and the rich spirituality, that you'll have to give up the world and riches and money and power and yeah. fame. And as I've said many times previously, the more spiritual you become, the more this comes to you. And for that, you'll have to go to my previous session. Mm -hmm. So we have two efforts that we all make. One is to acquire, and then the second is to protect what we acquire, from preserve it from losing it. And what Krishna says over here is, you will be free from acquisition and preservation. In the ninth chapter, and actually a few more places, he actually says that if you follow this karma yoga and doing for others, doing unselfishly, doing selflessly, I will preserve what you acquire, and I'll give you much more than what you can ever hope for. So it's an important concept. Um, Krishna says there's no end to yoga and chema, how much you acquire and yeah. how much you want to preserve. Have faith in me and follow the path to spirituality, and I, with a capital I, will take care of your yoga and chema, whatever is needed for you. Can you imagine? Yeah. The Lord says, I'll be your gatekeeper. I'll make sure you get what you want and more, and I will preserve what you get. I think um, even in Christianity and other religions, the same thing. In fact, I wrote to a friend of mine who uh, was very uh, spiritual and was uh, very knowledgeable in the Bible. And he's, since then, you know, he and I have been studying the Gita together mm -hmm. for many years. And I wrote to him. And he sent me, you know, many, many, many quotes from the Bible that says the same thing. That, right. You know, you follow the spiritual path and I will take care of every all of your needs. Very uh, interesting. Yeah. So that's, hmm? sorry? Yes, all of these, uh, a lot of these modalities all uh, are very similar. They have the same basic framework. Okay. So just to recap, um, in chapter two, the last few verses we did, Krishna says, I have revealed to you the wisdom of the self. It will be revealed to you when you start by doing karma yoga. Even a little bit ultimately leads to self-realization. Krishna compares karma yoga to action, ordinary actions. There's a difference between an ordinary action that you do for yourself versus karma yoga that you're doing for somebody else or for a higher power. He says, karma yoga always leads to inner purity. Nothing is wasted. Right? We did that in the last session. Right. Even following a little bit of karma yoga, one becomes free of all fears. Ordinary actions produce multiple fears and anxieties right from the start. Right, Your ordinary anxiety and fear is, 
that, oh, what if I do this and I don't get the result? What if people don't like it? What if it doesn't look good? What if I don't get the money that I'm expected? Action leads to more vasanas, more desires, and people who follow this selfish route cannot quieten their mind. Whereas with karma yoga, there's purity and your mind, you can quieten your mind, which will lead you to self-realization. Um, there's a Sanskrit term known as atma one bhava, which means enlighten yourself first, reside in that sattva, guna, in the purity, and everything else will fall apart. So just to touch on it, tamas means laziness. Tamas means laziness, sleepiness, mm -hmm. indolence. Rajas is full of action, restless, moving all the time. And sattva is being calm, pure, equanimous, and knowledgeable. Then he talks about the opposites. You remember yes. I, I, in verse 45, he said, be free of the pairs of opposite. And that in Sanskrit is known as pairs of opposite, which is what we said, gain and loss, pain and pleasure. Right. And residing in sattva, that's what he tells Arjuna, reside in sattva, allows you to remain balanced, both internally and externally, and become free of yoga and kshema the acquisition and wanting to preserve right. wealth health position family etc all of this falls in that same category people are worried that if they get involved in spirituality they will quote unquote lose something in the world actually the exact opposite is true um, and this doubt is cleared up by verse 46 which is the following to an enlightened brahmana all the vedas are of as much use as a pond where there's a flood of water everywhere. <laughs> so when there's a flood of water everywhere, right. the pond is of no use. So if we want pleasure in this work, we go to a specific object. We usually say, if I want, you use a sense object, pick anything. Two things that one needs to keep in mind is that the same object will not give happiness to you each and every time. Right? Right. You say, okay, I like this particular object, whatever it is. Even if the object is unchanging, the same music played in the same uh, stereo system will not produce the same pleasure every time. Right. For whatever reason, your mood is different, your attitude is different, it doesn't cause. So first is that it doesn't cause you the same pleasure every time. Why? Because the happiness is not in the object. It's not in that music. It's within us. It is in the mind of the person. Right now, I'm not in a good mood. I turn on the music. I'm hoping that it's going to make me feel better, but it doesn't right. that time. Second is, it is in the way in which we think about that object and what we have projected onto it. One day we like it, the next day we don't like it. Even if it's the same. Right. There's likes and dislikes change. We love a toy when we are children. As we grow up, those toys no longer fascinate us. The same music that we used to like at one time, we don't like. My mother used to say, you know, I, I thought you used to like this. I made it for you. Yeah, I ate it enough. I don't like it anymore. Yeah. How can you not like it? You loved it. <laughs> so that object, that food, that music, that person even, does not possess pleasure or pain, joy or sorrow inside it. As an adult, what we do is we say, okay, I don't like this job. I'm going to switch jobs. Yeah. It's not the job necessarily. It could be, yep. but it's us oftentimes, more often than not. From one person, we switch to another. We go divorce this person. Let's go to another person. Right. One thing to another thing. 
but conditions keep changing. We have to recognize that the pleasure is not in the world, nor is the displeasure in the world. It's within us. We need to control ourselves. There's a very important concept that the Gita is talking about in verse 46. If we experience happiness, it must be there somewhere within us. We need to find that. In the quietitude of one's mind, when your desire is satisfied and the thoughts and of constantly wanting something quiet down, you feel peace and you feel happiness. When your mind is quiet, the noise is gone, that's when you feel happy. So even when you meditate, and I've been trying, just so <laughs> everybody recognizes, I mean, I try this every day, but Gautam Jain used to say to us all the time, that if you don't get rid of your desires, there's no way you can meditate. And it's so true, right? Yeah. You close your eyes, all of you listening, right. try it if you haven't. Close your eyes, think about meditating. Um, and that's really where this Gita all leads to ultimately, after getting rid of your thoughts and desires. Mm -hmm. It is meant to keep your mind on a steady track. You cannot do it because your mind is like, going from one thought to the next and within a thought it keeps jumping there's no way for you to meditate so verse 47 your right is in the action only never to the fruits of the action never yep let not the fruit of action be your motive nor let your attachment attachment be to inaction so it says you're right you have a right to the action you do not have a right to the fruits of the action, number one. Don't let your motive in doing an action be the f fruit. Never say to yourself, then why even act? I'm just going to be inactive. Nobody can stay without acting, ever. You have to keep acting. And if your actions are selfish and full of desires and for their fulfillment, you only build more vastness mm -hmm. and more misery and more discontent. Action can be selfish, unselfish, or selfless. And that's the only way you're going to get this peace. So do not become the result, do not become the cause for the results of the actions. Otherwise, you get bound to the results of the actions. Right. Do not become attached to non-action or laziness. Ultimately, we have to re realize our own self. So the first step of karma yoga is that you have a right only to karma yoga, not to sankhya yoga. So sankhya yoga, you remember, we talked about from up to verse 39, which is a knowledge of the Atman, right. a firm conviction that there is such an Atman. How do you get there? What he's saying is you do karma yoga, and that gets you towards sankhya yoga. You follow this selfless, unselfish actions towards other people with an unselfish motive, and that gets you primed towards doing Sankhya Yoga, right. which is following the Atman, which will then get you to more meditation. So you can't we have, think your way there. You have actions are involved. Actions are needed. Right. Yeah. We have an ability to act. You can think about it. You have an ability to act. We have the right to act, but we have no control or right to the result. Mm -hmm. So I have a thought of coffee. Yeah. I think about it. I said, hmm. What would it be? It then produces a desire. Mm -hmm. And the desire says to me, okay, let me get up and make myself or get myself a cup of coffee. I'd like a cup of coffee. You can act to fulfill the desire and you can act to procure a cup of coffee. Or 
you can deny the desire and say no to the coffee, or you can say ignore it and just go on to something else. Just ignore it, and not to deny it, nor to accept it. The right, only right you have is to act, but the result of your action is dependent on not your own actions, but on a totality. Like we saw with that example that I gave last time, which is the farmer that works for months to till the ground, put the seed, etc. Right. But then he has to wait for the rains, and that is totally out of his control. So you have to, so many of us, we can think that we're going to do something, but a lot depends on a force that's beyond us. Right. And that force, we can't change. That totality, and what Bhagwan says, Lord Krishna says, is don't worry about the totality. If you're doing this in a selfless or unselfish manner, I will take care of everything for you. So don't drop all action because people say, you know what, it's too complicated. Yeah. Let me just not act. Yeah. You can't do that. You can't become inactive. The Lord says action is necessary. By renouncing action, you cannot become self-realized. You have to act. So the bottom line is you have to act. Don't get attached to the result of the action. Right. Get free of future binding to the result by getting desires, and don't be attached to that either. So there's something known as karma chakra. Chakra means cycle. Chakra, we call it here in yep. America. Sansara chakra means the chakra of coming and going in and out of this world. And because I act, I do something. Now I have to wait for the results. The results are not instantaneous. Right. So that means I have to wait around. It's like ordering something from Amazon that requires a signature. Yes. I order it, then I gotta wait for Amazon to deliver it. I can't just go away and say, okay, fine. I have to wait for it to be delivered. Once it comes, I gotta sign for it. So any action I take, the results are sometime in the future. The result comes, I say, wow, I love this. I'm gonna get more of this. Right. So it becomes a cycle. Yeah. So that's the chakra of karma. The mind becomes peaceful if you start getting rid of these um, uh, through the karma yoga, meaning a proper buddhi way of doing it in a selfless uh, manner. Um, okay, so that's verse 47, 38. Steadfast in yoga, perform actions. Renounce attachment. We just did this, right? Steadfast in yoga, perform actions. Renounce the attachment. Be the same in success and failure. This is called yoga. Mm -hmm. Means without attachment to the, to the action or to the results of the action. Be the same in success and failure. Refers to raga and dvesha, which is likes and dislikes. Right. Raga and dvesha means likes and dislikes. From childhood on, unfortunately, we teach our children you like this? Okay, have more of it. You don't like it? Don't worry about it. Right. So we actually foster our children liking things and disliking things. As we grow up, we say, I don't like this. I like this. So when we do things, there's always likes and dislikes that determine our actions. Yoga means union with the goal. The goal is to reach the Atman. Steadfast in yoga, perform your actions. The yoga of sameness. Everything is the same, whether you get this or you don't get it. Now, in there are five things in karma yoga that we must know about. Those five things you have to understand. One is samatva buddhi, means the attitude of sameness. Whatever you do, remember that it could be 
joy or sorrow, gain or loss, whatever it is, just have that buddhi, the knowledge that it can be go either way. You're doing it because you ought to do it, not because of failure or success. Right. Second is called swadharma buddhi. So any decision for any action is based on what you like and dislike. It shouldn't be that way. Right. You should do it because you ought to do it, because this is your dharma. Remember I said dharma of sugar is sweetness. The dharma of any person is what you ought to do. Sugar causes sweetness, that's its dharma. A rose smells sweet, that's its dharma. Mm -hmm. So the swadharma buddhi is the knowledge. The first one was sameness. Right. Make sure that all your actions, your result is, your attitude is that it's the same no matter what happens. The second is you're doing it because you ought to do it. Um, what is right and what is not right, that's dharma. The third is samarpan buddhi, means whatever action you are doing, you're doing it for somebody else, not for yourself. Usually you do it for your own ego, but here you're doing it for some other person's benefit. Uh, don't do it for somebody else's selfishness, but right. because that person deserves it. Dedicate your action to those other people. When you get past that, the next attitude should be dedicating it to the Lord, to a higher community, to the service of the humanity. The next one, number four, is asanga buddhi. That is non-attached to the result of action. Whatever comes your way is a result of nature. Do what is right because it ought to be done, not for the result. Mm -hmm. And number five is prasad buddhi. Whatever the result is, accept it as pleasure. Accept it like prasad. This, all of this karma yoga will take us to sankhya buddhi when you experience that prasad. One can plan for the results, but the results could be very different, accepted. Prasad actually means in a temple, when you go, the uh, offering, let's say you take an apple and you give it to the priest to offer to God. Then at the end of the uh, ritual, he cuts the apple into little pieces and everybody that comes, he puts a piece of apple in their hand. This is an offering, I guess, like the wafer or the right. thing that you get in church. The offering that you get is an apple. You can't look at that apple and say, I don't like it. It's turned brown. It's smelly. I don't. <laughs> that's not allowed. You've got to take that apple and say, okay, I eat it. Right. Similarly, he says, this is prasad buddhi, meaning whatever your actions are, accept the result as prasad. Right. Don't say, well, I worked so hard for this. I only got a uh, million dollars. You know, it's not good enough. Yep. I want more, that kind of stuff. Whatever it is, you get it. You did it for charity, for instance, just let it go, whatever it is. Number 48, how should I perform my actions? Keep your mind the same for success and failure. Give up all attachments to the result. Dedicate your actions to God with no attachment to the result. Um, we talked about this already. Samatva buddhi, everything is the same, both sides. Follow the path of dharma or righteousness. Do what is right. Next one is Samarapya Buddhi, which is the offering. Whatever you do, offer, do it for somewhere else. Dedicate it to me, with a capital M. Asanga Buddhi, non-attached to the result. And Prasada Buddhi, accepted as an offering of your ablation. Number 49. We're getting there, Lou. <laughs> I know. You're working. You're doing very well. Um, far inferior to the yoga of knowledge is action. Seek refuge in knowledge. Wretched are those whose motive is fruit. Mm. The yoga of knowledge or buddhi yoga 
basically is at a certain level. It's not as level as the Sankhya yoga, but this is a yoga. Below that is action. So ordinary action is inferior to buddhi yoga or karma yoga. It's about our action, not it's about our attitude, right. as I said before, not about our action. When we perform our action with the right attitude, our mind becomes purer and purer. A karma yoga attitude must have sameness as an attitude, must have, have an attitude of the right dharma, which mm. is the action, doing it because you ought to do it. Do the action for the goal of the Atman, not for your selfishness. Must do without an, without an attachment to the result right. and must accept the result, whatever it is. So that's verse 49. Verse 50. United to knowledge, one sheds here both good and bad deeds. United to knowledge, one sheds here both good and bad deeds. Therefore, devote yourself to yoga, and inaction is yoga. Mm -hmm. Some of these verses are very complicated yeah. in sentence, but when you look at it, it makes sense. Ordinary action that we do is prompted by ego, pride, jealousy, confusion. Right. So I want to mow my lawn. I say it's the right thing to do. I got to do it. That's one way. But if I say my lawn has to be looking better than my neighbor's lawn, right. it's prompted by jealousy. Pride, oh, my lawn is the best in the, it's by ego or pride. Confusion, say, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go out and mow the lawn, those kind of things. Right. That's how ordinary action is, as opposed to action being done for the right reasons. Our action should be directed by a higher power and a desire to serve a higher power, not by our own ego. We should have a deep attachment to our work, our job, because that's what we ought to do, whatever we do, not to the result of the work. Things that are associated with the work, when things don't go that way, we get mad with everybody around us. I think I said before that somebody asked a question, um, I'm a stockbroker. How yeah. can I devote that job to the Lord when my job is gambling? Right. I play a bet, and if it wins, I make a lot of money. And the answer is that what you do with that money is what determines what that job is. not that you can't have a, a devotion to God in right. playing the stock market. You can't say, God, please let me get some money. What you do with that money is what's important. If you make a ton of money as a stockbroker, right. how much of that do you spend on buying a new Porsche versus you know, uh, doing something for somebody who's less fortunate than you? Right. Um, so you have to have prasada buddhi. We don't have the value for what we get as a result of our actions. We just say, I'm not happy with this. Prasad means to accept with joy. Mm -hmm. If you're dissatisfied, discontent with the result, we get now from an action that we did in the past, that only hurts you. Ordinary action leads to bondage. It's like gutter water compared to nectar. Right. Um, once we are endowed with this buddhi of karma buddhi, this understanding of samatva, equanimity, and not giving one thing more importance than the other, the result may disappoint you, but your drive towards the self should not be affected. Right. So when the good, it talks about good deeds and bad deeds. So the analogy is of a prisoner in jail. So a prisoner in jail can get rewards for being a good person. 
or he could get let out of jail, mm -hmm. right? But if he does bad things, or he comes out of jail and does the same thing that he went into jail for, he gets put back in jail. So samsar, this world, is considered like a jail for us. We may not think of it as, but right. we are captives here. Yeah. When we do good deeds, we're actually freeing ourselves because by doing those good deeds, just by virtue of some of the things that we've discussed before, you get to be more powerful, you get to be wealthier, because good things come to you right. automatically for those reasons that I mentioned. It's not just luck. It's not fate. It's because people see you as a good person, benefits accrue to you. So you get privileges while you're still in the jail, just like that prisoner. So oh, you're a good prisoner, you can go out and do gardening. So here, you're a good citizen, you get the benefits of more money, more right. power, more people that love you, etc. And if you're an exceptionally good prisoner, you get released from jail. So if you're an exceptionally good citizen of this world, when you die, you get mukti. You get, um, you, you don't have to keep coming back. So that's right. the point of verse 50. So what Krishna says is, put forth effort and work at it. Doesn't come easy, but you have to keep doing it. That's verse 50. Verse 51 is, the wise who have the intellect and know which is the way to the self, do not look for rewards in action. They're liberated from the bond of birth, and they reach the state beyond evil. Now, evil here doesn't mean a demon or Satan or anything like that. Evil means desires and vasanas. Right. Mm -hmm. What the Gita refers to in evil is vasanas. They reach a state beyond vasanas. Vasanas create us as individuals, right? We talked about that right. previously, mm -hmm. that our vasanas create us. And when we come back, we become the personality that's driven by our vasanas. They're known as the cause of body because they cause us to produce desires. The causal body shows itself as the subtle body, which is the thoughts and desires right. that we have. So the wise, meaning those who have knowledge or who have buddhi of what karma yoga really is, united to knowledge, renouncing the fruit of action, which we talked about before, liberated from the bond of birth, Indeed, reach the state beyond evil from impurities, meaning they go past the vasanas. Buddhi yoga is not about action, but about the knowledge of what you're doing. Right. So the analogy that the scriptures give us is about children. When they're young, other children tease them. When there's a child that gets teased all the time, what do the other kids do? They like it that he cries and he gets teased. So they tease him even more. Right. And what the scriptures say is that maya or fate, in effect, if we actually respond to the teasing that maya does for us and we respond to it, it actually teases us even more. Yeah. What do we say to our kids? If they tease you and you don't like being called Popeye, yep. then look the other way. Ignore it. Ignore if it, you yeah. ignore it, they don't get the reaction, so they stop teasing you. And the same thing is what the scripture says. If you don't respond to Maya's temptations, then Maya stops teasing you. It just gives it to you. So it's a good analogy. Um, and be 
thinking of everything as the same. You may not know the story of Ram. Many people who are listening to this may not know, but people who grew up in India, everybody knows who Ram is. Ram is the protagonist of the uh, Ramayana, and he was born a prince. He was heir to the throne. He was supposed to be throne. And his stepmother tricked his father into giving her a boon, and in that boon, he says, you've got to give it to me. And in those days, man's word was his bond. It was his honor. Right. And he said, ask anything you ask for, I'll give it to you. She says, you mean it? He says, anything. He says, well, I don't want you to crown Ram the prince or the king. I want my son, the stepmother's son, to become king. Yeah. And I want your son, Ram, to go out in the forest for 14 years and disappear from the kingdom. Wow. And live in the forest as a hermit. So, symbolically, what it essentially suggests is that Ram, who was the prince, grew up in the palace, was told, you're going to be coronated this week. You're going to be king. Mm -hmm. He didn't jump up and down with joy, saying, oh, man, I'm going to be king. And when he was told that, sorry, that is negated, you got to go in the forest, give up all these robes, take these rags and go into the forest and live there for 14 years, he didn't throw himself on the ground and start crying. Right. In the Ramayana, he was equanimous. He was sattvic, both ways. He was told he was going to be crowned. He said, fine. Just like the man, the Chinese philosopher that comes down, he says, everything's fine. Whatever it is, I'm okay this way. I'm okay that way. He right. goes into the forest. So that's basically the focus is dharma. What is right? What is not right? You do what is right equanimity, the sameness on both sides. Right. The focus is on feelings that one should perform with dedication, with your heart in it. Um, upasana is a puja. You're doing things like it's a ritual that you're doing for whatever your job is. You're saying this is an offering to God. Um, it's a joy. So once you do that, you get to the point where you actually start to enjoy things that you're doing, which is uh, for the higher power. So in verse 52, it says, when buddhi crosses over the bog or a swamp of delusion and desire and attachment, then you will grow unattached to what the intellect hears and what is still to be heard. So this is a little confusing, but in the first state is us as we are now, full of desires. We have no idea what lies beyond this. We are deluded. Right. Only by using the path that we're talking about, buddhi yoga or karma yoga, can we reduce our desires. Once those desires go down, the world and the sense objects become less attractive. You become less attached to them. You, they don't have as much value. Right. All beings, objects, things, parties, the attachment becomes less. And as that happens, you start to renounce the world because you don't need it as much and you start to enter the second state. So the first state is where we are now. And I can tell you from personal experience, friends, that that has happened. As I started to just to listen and learn all of this, my attachment to these things became less my fear. I think I gave this example where I lost like five watches in the car wash. Yeah. I went to the car wash. They were sitting in the car. I meant to take it to get batteries. When I came out, they were not, not that day. I forgot about the watches. I said, oh, where were those watches? I left them in my car. And I said, the only place I took my car to was the car wash. And at some point in the past, I 
each one of these was very expensive watches. I didn't think twice about it. Hmm. It didn't bother me at all. Yeah. And I have many other examples. So when you get past that first state, the second state is where the mind is detached from the world and starts to look for the self or the Atman. That's the second state. The third state is where you get into meditation and self-realization. When in this, it says, you will grow unattached to what the intellect hears and what is still to be heard. It refers to the five senses. Right. Hear and what is still to be heard refers to the mind, the intellect, and the all the senses. So when the buddhi becomes free of all delusions, confusion, indiscretion, it is known as the uh, atma moha. And we attain vairagya. As we become free of moha, we start to realize things because our mind becomes calm and is no longer attached to anything. Right. And so the example is that of a person watching a movie, right? When you're watching a movie, you're sitting in the movie theater and you're watching on the screen, everything is dark. Right. You're engrossed in the movie. You put yourself into the bodies, the mind, the lives of the people on the screen. That's right. When the movie then turns off and the lights come on, you then say, oh, I'm sitting here. Your thoughts come back to yourself. Right. So what they're saying is the same sort of thing here is that right now your mind is focused on other things outside. Right. This is the movie around us. This is the movie, everything around us. If that becomes, go to the second stage, then that movie becomes less attractive. It's like a boring movie. You right. start saying, you know, this is itching, that's itching. I want some popcorn. I want to get up and want to get out. That's what happens. The world doesn't have as much value for you. And you start to say, I want to seek the Atman. So verse 53, you will become self-realized when your intellect starts completely stands completely still and steady in meditation. Like we said before, the mind is like a monkey. Mm. It's either jumping from branch to branch or while it's on one branch, it's constantly shifting. Right. And karma yoga controls those movements of the mind by reducing desires. And meditation controls the side-to-side -side movements of the mind. It forces the mind to focus on one thing only. And in the scriptures... The description is that of a flame. They say, and that's why when you do meditation or prayers, most religions put a flame there oh. because the flame, when there's a breeze, moves right. like the mind. Yeah. When there's no breezes, no desires, no thoughts, no nothing, then the breeze is completely still and you can meditate. So it says that when your mind is free of these jumping back and forth, then and only then can you use meditation to reach to the next level, which is self-realization. Right. And as you see, that was verse 52. We're coming to verse 53. And then verse 54, Arjuna says, well, what is a self-realized person? What's all this for? What's the benefit? So verse 53, the last one. I think we're on time, right? Yep. When your intellect, perplexed by what has been heard, shall stand immovable and steady in meditation, then you will attain yoga, which is unity with the self. When the intellect is perplexed by what has been heard. So yep. the intellect listens all the time, mm -hmm. always. It's got an opinion about something. Right. 
every time you're sitting in the audience listening to somebody giving a speech and there's a noise in the back, a door slams. You're, people who have a less controlled intellect, a less developed intellect, immediately 90% of the people turn around to say, what was that noise? Right. What difference does it make? But you'll see, very interesting experiment, that majority of people turn around to say, who was it? Somebody's walking down, they turn around to look at it. Those that don't, just keep looking at the speaker and keep talking and listening. They have a stronger intellect. Right. So our intellect always is looking at different things. It sees something, it has to have an opinion, and gives it to you nonstop to right. say, oh, who's that? what's going on? Always giving you that. So what the meditation does is it gives you a mantra to say. And this is, we'll do this in the chapter 17, 18, when we get to that level, that the mind focuses on the mantra, and it keeps saying that mantra with a pause. Say a mantra, pause. Say a mantra, pause. Breathing, etc. When you focus on that, the intellect says, yeah, I know this boring mantra. You've said it a million times before. Pause. Right. Pause. And the technique is at some point to sort of diminish it and just stop. And what he says is, when the intellect is, pers when the intellect is perplexed by the silence, then you can meditate because the intellect says, well, what is that silence? What right. is that? And focuses on that. If you look at those YouTubes that I was talking about with hypnosis, remember we talked yes. about way back when, yeah. talking about use of hypnosis, and that's basically what we do in hypnosis too, that we delve into a certain area by a certain technique to hypnotize the mind to focus on something else while we get to another part of the mind. And that's basically what meditation is. So that was verse 52 says that in order to meditate, your intellect needs to be focused on something else, but you can't do it unless with the use of karma yoga, you get rid of your desires. Verse 53, sorry, this is verse 53. When your intellect is perplexed by what has been heard, right. then it shall stand immovable and steady in meditation, and then you will attain unity with the self. So that's basically what we were talking about, which was the candle. So, Lou, we did from verse 45. We did it. We got through it. I never it. thought I'd do it. <laughs> no, it was excellent, by the way. Lots of stuff to absorb there as well. And by the way, friends, you may think this is a little boring, but this is like the precursor to what's going to come, which is more interesting. Can't learn trigonometry, calculus, algebra, unless you know the basics, or mathematics even. I sit with my grandsons mm -hmm. to teach them columns to say, you know, when you start adding multiple, you got to start on the right side, carry over, et right. cetera. Those are the basics. You say, this is boring. I don't like this. But as you start to get the feel of it, you say, okay, now the joy of actually doing mathematics and getting the answers right comes later. My, so the joy of the Gita will come after we learn these basics. My main first takeaway from this, this particular episode was that our bonds are those pairs of opposites. Staying in between them, staying away from them, not attaching ourselves to them is a, is a great first step to freeing ourselves. Yeah, that is one of the steps. As you know, we yeah. covered eight chapters. That sameness is one of, if you notice in the Karma Yoga, we sameness, talked about yeah. different. Sameness Equanimity. is one of them. Yeah, yes. Yeah. 
But it's but an it's important, important one because we're trapped in that largely. We're trapped in worrying about gain and loss. We're worried about acquisition and and preservation. We're worried about uh, sadness and happiness. We're worried about that all the time. All the time. You know, Lord Ganesh, um, I don't have a, um, a statue here of Ganesh outstand out, out here. But if you look at Go Lord Ganesh, he's got, among all the different things, Lord Ganesh is supposed to be representative of a self-realized human being. Mm -hmm. And there's symbolically, people often say, well, what kind of religion is this? You play to a man with a monkey head, an elephant head. What is that? Yeah. But it's actually a symbolism to what it is. And one of the symbols is, you notice that every statue of Ganesh, instead of having two long tusks, one tusk is long because he's got the head of an elephant, and the other tusk is broken off. Oh, I didn't notice. I've never noticed yeah. yeah. If you notice that, the story goes that somebody insulted him. He broke off a piece of his tusk and threw it a moon. at The, the moon laughed at oh, him. Yep. And he broke off a piece of the tusk and threw it at the moon. <laughs> That's just a mythological story. But when the people who came up with these mythological stories and the description of a, a, a person of self-realization, he said that he is the same even if he's got one tusk long and one broken, that he's got on his own thing, his own thing, he says, I'm equal with both, right. even though they're both not the same. They're mm -hmm. opposite. Yeah. So there's that, that we, as you said, the correct thing is that we've got to be equanimous and have the sameness to all results as in Ganesha's tusks. Excellent. That was a full episode. Full episode, a lot of time. Sorry, folks. This is the <laughs> basics that we all need to know uh, to get to the next level. And I appreciate your listening and putting up with this. And I hope you got something out of it. Please let me know if you have any questions. Right, Lou? Yes, absolutely. Write to us on Facebook, and I'll be happy to respond. Anything else that I need to tell them, Lou? Nope, just wherever you're finding it now, you can get them on uh, Facebook Live. You can get the videos, audio podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, everywhere you get podcasts. Leave some comments. Talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and the next time we'll talk about verse 55 onwards, which is the description of a self-realized person because Arjuna says, well, what am I doing all this for to become self-realized? What's so great about being self-realized? Oh. What's a self-realized person all about? Excellent. So join us next time and thank you for being here. <laughs>